Welcome to another episode of Our Kind of Pod, a UW football-specific episode of the Boyd Meets World podcast. This week, we digested the Auburn loss and talked ourselves into the sky, not actually falling and that things are going to be all right, maybe? Something like that. Uh, as always, four downs, one big question about the program, some Pac-12 talk, and discussing the national college football scene. Enjoy. All right, let's uh, let's bite into this this apple. Okay. Um, so UW Auburn, right? It was a, uh, a metaphor for life because you know sometimes you prepare yourself for how things are going to go. You put in a lot of mental energy and thought into kind of how things are going to happen. You you know plan things out. You kind of go against uh, you know this factor versus this factor. And then sometimes uh, you do that, you prep for six hours for a podcast to find out how Auburn uses their receivers, uh, and then a receiver you've never heard of who looks like Post Malone scores a touchdown in the first drive, and you go 0-5 in your college football predictions for a weekend. Uh, and that's life. Am I right? Yeah, it was a, it was an up-and-down weekend. Uh, mostly down, <laughs> but um, there were some good parts in there, some good takeaways from that game, but... Uh, yeah, we we have some work to do in the uh, college pick'em pool. Own five is not a good start. Yeah, yeah, we we uh, our confidence points should have been zero on all of those, but but whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, standing around a college football pool that was just salt on the on the wound from this weekend. Uh, it sounds like your Saturday night might have made up for all of it though. But that's that's a whole different podcast if you want to get into that. Yeah, it was it was pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> It, a dive bar with a wedding party combined that I wasn't even a part of, but uh, yeah, we'll we, we'll get into that at a later time. <laughs> That's that goes in the book. Um, <laughs> all right, so yeah, UW loses uh, 22-16 in what uh, amounted to a road game, just based off of the the sheer volume when UW had the ball um, at uh, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. There, it was very loud, uh, very raucous, very frustrating at times. We will get into all of that first. Got to touch on the big news that, that just came out today. It appears that Trey Adams, uh, UW's left tackle, who was on his way to being a surefire first-round pick, uh, didn't play against Auburn, had some sort of back injury. It was uh, it was like Twittergate looking through pictures of whether Trey Adams was on a team bus or not. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't at the game. Turns out he's out for the season with some sort of back injury, which is different than what caused his season to end uh, last season, which was an ACL tear. Uh, Chris Peterson was pissed about how the media handled it. Um, there was talk of, of a reporter, you know, could could have been anyone, but we think we know who it is, uh, reaching out to Trey Adams personally to deal with that. My question to you is, is that any different, What Peter, how Peterson was upset with the media for handling that? Is that any different than Nick Saban being pissed at uh, the reporter for asking questions about their quarterback situation? Yes, because Peterson has an... Uh, obvious reason to be upset Saban is just a grumpy old guy he had no reason to be upset at Maria Taylor I watched that interview and it was I thought he was out of line at least he did um, apologize but yeah Saban has been reaching a boiling point I feel like for the last couple years with the media and this is just him going over that point yeah I mean Peterson when he's talking about it was it was kind of it's kind of uh, a tongue-in-cheek situation where he's talking uh, about this process and it's how you deal with injuries because there's a lot of different factors there in terms of uh, what other teams are looking at and then also how that impacts the the player's health and their you know how they manage their um, their own health records so when those things get out before it's been thought through it's it's a problem for a lot of reasons whereas Nick Saban was just is just tired of the same question and that gives you <laughs> full insight as to why Nick Saban spent exactly one year in the NFL uh, is because he would have gotten that question about 400 times a day. Um, I think it was like Dante Culpepper or uh, Chad Pennington where it was like the quarterback controversy when Saban was in Miami. So um, a good insight into the cantankerous nature of, of one one Nick Saban. All right, let's break it into, let's just get right into it. I mean, there's we're going to get into our four downs. We'll talk about uh, kind of the, the, the college football scene at large, but first down, Let's talk about Jake Browning, my friend. Uh, the pitchforks are out 
for for Mr. Browning. Uh, do you do you see that? I mean, what was your gut gut reaction to to his play on on Saturday? Do you think it's it's like oh god, cannot wait for for the Jacob Eason era, or are you uh, are you a little more measured in your critique of of Jake Browning? I think I'm a bit more measured. Initially, I was. Uh, decently upset, um, not to the extent of some people I've seen on social media saying, you know, I can't wait for the Jake Jake Browning era to be over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was upset that, you know, you have a fourth-year starter uh, coming into his first game in his final season. Um, you think he would rise to the occasion a bit better um, and would eliminate some errors that he made, some big uh, play errors and some very pivotal points of the game. Um, but with that said, I think in some respects, it's a bit lazy to, to just blame this on Jake Browning. I think if you're blaming this, the the loss, the Huskies loss on Jake Browning, I think you haven't really looked into what actually happened in this ball game. Um, Jake Browning was fantastic between like in the middle portion of this, a middle third of this game, mm-hmm. uh, between when he threw an interception, which you could argue that that was not that was a broken route by the wide receiver. Like you could argue that. Yep. Um, Freshman tight end Otten on the yep. sideline didn't come back to the yep. ball. Didn't come back. Yeah. So between that period and when he, um, between that period and the end of the first half, he went on an eight for twelve run for 166 yards and a touchdown. He mm-hmm. looked. He looked almost unstoppable at points in some of those in some of those passes, um, and then if you add between that interception to into the second half when that pick play happened where the touchdown was overturned, mm-hmm. he was even better. Ten for fifteen for two hundred fourteen yards. Um, so I don't know. I, he was pressured over thirty five percent of his passes, so he was dealing with people in the backfield all day. Yet he threw for almost three hundred yards, which surprisingly is the six most passing yards he's ever put up against a power five opponent in his career. Yep. So in, in that respect, it was kind of a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, but in other respects, he didn't show up when you really needed him to, um, you know, in the red zone, he wasn't, he wasn't there. Obviously he fumbled the ball uh, down in the red zone on that option play, which I will say, I don't think necessarily was completely his fault either. Um, he also took a couple sacks um, in the red zone too. But I think overall, you need to pin this loss on the team as a whole, and you can pin it on red zone inefficiencies mm-hmm. or penalties, things of that nature. I don't think you can pin it fairly on Jake Browning himself. Yeah, I think you're you're dead on there. I think that this was both a very frustrating game from Browning, given the the results and given the two turnovers and given the. Uh, you know, the struggles of the offense and also showed glimpses of some of the best play I've ever seen from him. And I think, you, you know, you put you put numbers to that sentiment very well there. Uh, but he was throwing the best balls to the sideline and, you know, deep and intermediate routes that I've seen him throw to normal humans, I, a.k.a. not John Ross or Dante Pettis. So I was I was both impressed and, you know, just just the natural disappointment that's going to come from that, I think. Uh, you know, give it given a second watch on on the whole thing. It did feel like there was just a, two sides to the coin with with both the, the interception and then also the fumble. I mean, the fumble was an was an option play out of the pistol. Jake Browning is not really the guy you want running an option play, especially out of the pistol, because that just puts him closer to the line of scrimmage. You had five blocking or three blocking five on that side. Um, you know, Peterson even said after the game that they should have checked out of that play. There's there's a little bit more to it, but I do think that there's kind of this symbolic play that, that Jake Browning does that if you see it happen, it just provides this instant gut, like visceral reaction, and it's the spin. When he starts spinning, it's just indicative of, of bad and sloppy play, and when he just steps up in the pocket instead, it looks so much better. And I think that... Honestly, if you if you if, if it's a husky loss and Jake Browning was spinning, it is a bad cocktail for for what his uh, Twitter mentions are going to look like that next day. I I think this is also compounded on the fact that he just really hasn't been able to. I mean, okay, here's the thing: Jake Browning isn't a quarterback that's going to put this team on his back. He's going to manage the game and he's going to stick to his job and he's going to march you down the field and score touchdowns. He's not going to like make these 
crazy heroic throws and beat someone to the first down marker with his legs, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And, and if you were getting, we're getting into these big games where I feel like people think that he needs to win games for us. And that's not who he is. I think, I think it's unfair to, to think that he's a guy who's going to go out and win a game for you. I think collectively as a team, we are one of the best teams in the country, but that's because we have a lot of great players. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I mean, Jake rarely will come back from has led us from a uh, from a losing position to win. I think Utah might be his only come from behind game. Yep. So that goes to show you that, you know, he's not someone that's going to take over games necessarily. I think also one thing that might be hurting people's perspectives about Jake Browning is the fact that when he really came onto the scene and came into his own in a second season. He was throwing to the likes of John Ross and Dante Pettis and had all these weapons to throw to. And I think those kind of inflated his stats a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think it made it so last season and this season, we have this expectation that he's going to be this Heisman level quarterback. When at the end of the day, he's, I don't think he's really ever going to be that level, mm-hmm. but we don't need him to be. We have enough talent on the field that we don't need him to be. He just yeah. needs to be a little bit more polished in pivotal situations, which he lacked in this game. Yeah, yeah, right. The middle third of the game, he excelled, and then you know to to open the gates and then crunch time, um, it kind of got a little cramped in there. So, I I think you know for me walking out of this, it's basically you know the the book on Jake Browning is not finished. Like yes, he has not necessarily won that big game, but I do not think by any means that he is incapable of doing that because of some some major flaw in his game. I think that he's both a very solid uh, you know plus quarterback in college football. And then also a guy who has yet to win the big game. And and he'll have his shot, I think, in two weeks at Utah. I think that's a perfect time to, to kind of reevaluate this situation and, and see if what we saw from the positive direction uh, this last Saturday carries and what if, if those mistakes go away. So I think we're both on the same page there that this is this is not as easy as Jake Browning's got to go. Can't wait for next season. I think that that uh, there's a little bit more more to this uh, this chess this time. Agreed. I, I think he's angry, uh, and I think you're going to see some, um, maybe not big performances from him specifically, but as a team, I think you're going to see some big numbers put up, obviously, this weekend, and I'm feeling good about Utah as well. If I were him, I would absolutely do the the Instagram version of the, the Tebow speech. You will never see a player <laughs> play this hard the rest of the season. After Tebow lost to Ole Miss his, uh, his senior year, and he just started crying and pounding his fist, and then, uh, go figure, Florida won a national title with maybe the most yeah. college, t- talented college football team ever. But um, we shall see with Jake Browning rooting for you. Um, hope, hopefully see him get some, some vengeance uh, for, for kind of these, uh, these miscues in his career. Second down, uh, let's talk about what ailed this team since we both agree it was not entirely Jake Browning. Um, he's a part of the puzzle, not, not the entire thing. Uh, there were there were plenty of miscues. Uh, which which ones of those were which which set of miscues uh, bothered you the most and you thought was most to blame for this loss? Well, we briefly touched on both of them in that first down, but I think it, you got to look at red zone inefficiencies and penalties. So you yep. went to the red zone six times during that game and you came away with one touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just you got to be better than that, especially in games, big games like that, where, you know, you're not going to get that many trips to the red zone. If you told me we would go to the red zone six times in that game before the game, I would be like, wow, we, we may win this game actually. Hmm. Yeah. We're going to win this game. Um, Jake did take a couple sacks, uh, in the red zone, which you don't like to see, but that, you know, that could be, that's a combination of the offensive line protecting for him as well. Um, you had the fumble too. You did have a missed field goal in there as well. Um, but at the end of the day, this is a team sport. We need to all be on the same page. And I think that also you got to look at Bush Handon too. I thought he didn't necessarily have the best play calling once we got down there. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, let's see, what, what drive was it? We, we were really moving. I think it was when we fumbled it, Gaskin had 35 yards on that drive yep. on three carries. And then we get down in the red zone and then we start trying to do, you know, options and stuff like this. It's like, just stick with your guy and just run it with Gaskin. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's so red zone inefficiency. That's one penalties. 
you have 10 penalties for 95 yards, which amazingly was actually better than Auburn. Yeah. But if you look back at the end of last year, just from like looking at a team that's been playing for a whole season versus a team this year that this is their first game. Over the last three games last season, we combined for eight penalties for a total of 47 yards. So we we doubled that basically in this game. Um, it's not a character. It's not characteristic of a Peterson team, but it's early. So these are things that are going to happen. But mm. I bet that will be the one of the biggest talking points this week in practice. Yeah, definitely something that you could see. You could see a couple times they would pan over at Peterson and and just some 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 visual <laughs> visible frustration from him. He's got that scowl going. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the Peterson gif where <laughs> there's just one, I forget the exact verbiage of what he says, but I think we're playing like Cal and crushing them, but. Uh, he's like, he's like, why are we so goddamn stupid or something like that next to, next to somebody? He could just read clear as day what we, what he saw. He didn't, didn't have any of those moments. He was a little more, uh, just all in the face, but, but clearly frustrated by that. Lots of mistakes. I think, uh, there's two, two goal line possessions that really, um, I think were, were just miscues. Aaron Fuller goes down. He, he had uh, a catch down to the eight yard line. We're down 12 to three end up getting a field goal out of it. Um, you're on the eight-yard line. Your three play calls there before you kick a field goal. Miles Gaskin straight up the gut with the Wildcat. You run a fade route to Ty Jones for his first target ever um, in that. And then uh, the shotgun draw with Jake Browning on third and seven um, from the seven-yard mm-hmm. line. That was just a tough, tough call. I don't know if you can explain that. I mean, it's a similar call to probably what he did in the the famous Oregon point uh, play at that at that point. But mm-hmm. I, I just I just don't see that working against Auburn. And if anything else, those two plays should be flipped, right? Do the shotgun draw on second down, um, and, and at that point you can kind of gain a few more yards and change your situation. But to do it on third and seven was really confusing. And then yeah, it's go ahead. Oh, go for it. Go for it on the second one. Yeah, and then the second one we talked briefly about that that the pistol option to to Savon Ahmed. I you know that that was that was a tough play. But I think in general, even even before you get to the uh, to, you know to the to the red zone, part of what is going to make this team not have to do that is when you have more explosive plays and you're you're getting big chunks of yards where you don't even have to mess with the red zone. And I think that it's tough to do explosive with this offense when you know Savon Ahmed didn't t- didn't see the field until 10:26 left in the second quarter. Um, and I don't think that there was nearly enough plays where Savon Ahmed and Miles Gaskin were on the on the on the field at the same time. I think at a certain point, those are your two you know two of your four or five best offensive players. Um, you got to get get them on the field, and so I think that that would be something that I would be shocked if we didn't see a little bit more of um, this next week and then the rest of the season. Yeah, the the Ahmed point is a good point because you know shuffling the running backs in keeps your defense off balance and um a defense as good as auburn they're gonna they're gonna know tendencies of gaskin after uh you know they'll they'll know at least some tendencies after a full quarter of play you're gonna want to keep that that team off balance and shuffle in ahmed especially because ahmed is definitely capable um back to the other two points about drives that we just stalled in um you're talking about two drives within the 10 yard line that we're basically we're running it on a third and long situation which Mm -hmm. you're running into the second third best front seven in the country it just when you think of it that way it's like how would that have even been an idea like at that point right you know so i i don't know it's just it's too bad it's in the past now i guess but wow Mm-hmm. That, those are some big opportunities right there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think that's the strength of this team necessarily, especially in that game. I think that you got to be a little more creative of how you use, uh, you know, the the kind of middle third of the or middle thirds of the field. Um, and so I, I was a little confused by that myself. Uh, briefly on the Jimmy Lake debut as as the the true defensive coordinator, calling plays two sacks. They weren't the conventional bring bring Stidham down in the pocket. They're kind of the um, you know the 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 runs to the outside where Stidham doesn't get back to the line of scrimmage. Um, so two sacks, no forced turnovers. Although I think if you watch the Auburn offense and we kind of clued you in on that, they, uh, they're not really the type of offense to make mistakes. The screen passes, the, you know, the easy one read screens, unless you really mess those up or get a tip, you're not going to, uh, force a lot of interceptions, just kind of the way they play. So I'm not too worried about that. Although a turnover would have been nice, obviously, 
Um, but I thought, you know, just kind of the way he used blitzes was a lot more exotic than I think Pete Kwiatkowski was uh, at points last year. Figured out different ways to kind of get four guys rushing, even if it's, you know, three linemen and then just kind of it looks like five guys are coming, but it's four and not from the side you thought. I thought that that was really a, a good sign of kind of how how creative they got of, of using guys like Bartlett and Burkirvan and DJ Beavers coming off the edge. Yeah, and you can see that with uh, Miles Bryant picking up one of the two sacks that we registered yep. on Saturday. Um, I think he was a little too cautious to begin the game. Uh, yes, he was definitely. Really shading his defensive backs off of their receivers to start the game, just giving them way too much space. Um, but like you said, uh, uh, Auburn's offense is going is not really going to turn it over just because they play a pretty conservative uh, offense of style. Easy so, throws. Um, yep. Exactly. Easy throws, a lot of running. Um, that turnovers were something that the Huskies kind of hung their hat on the la- at least two years ago, a little bit last year, uh, but definitely two years ago. Um, so it would be nice to see us get back into that, uh, leading that category. But yeah, I'd, I think a, a turnover would have done wonders for us. Um, mm-hmm. You just, and you know, getting the defense off the field too, because they're on the, on the field at least in the first half on the field for quite a bit. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, moving to third down, this will be probably the most the most positive of the downs. I was I was blown away by the performance um, of Aaron Fuller, especially Ty Jones as well. Andre Bocellia had four catches um, for 40 yards. Ty Jones, four for, I think, 75. Fuller goes seven for 132. Aaron Fuller bowled the hell out in that game and i think that that uh there's a lot there to like what did you like from from aaron fuller yeah it was he he was seemingly all over the place Mm -hmm. um i think as a unit some of the things well first of all this was the unit that probably was had the biggest question mark not only on the offense but the entire team coming in so that's amazing to see them perform so well on such a big stage um this is also a testament to throws Jake where Jake was making, by the way. But some of the catches that were that they were putting up there were insane. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the Quentin Pounds uh, one ended touchdown catch in the corner was remarkable. But there was also a lot of a lot of balls that uh, were going to the sidelines that that these guys were just making plays. I mean, mm-hmm. Ty Jones had a few. Um, you would like to see a few of the uh, penalties that were um, that were. Uh, the wide receiving group yep. did have a few penalties. Uh, I think there was a push off. Obviously, the pick play was huge. That and another, uh, another holdown. Yep. So, so those those three. I mean, you don't like to see that happening, uh, especially when you're a wide receiver. Wide receivers should rarely ever be getting penalties called on them, and those mm-hmm. seem to be in some pretty pivotal points as well. Um, but like we said, that's something that we expect this team to clean up as the season goes on. Um, but yeah, overall, amazing day for the wider receiver group. I don't think you could really ask for more from them. Yeah, uh, Fuller rewatching it was just I mean, the 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 first big catch. I mean, he he really opened the game up and was like, okay, there's life when he he caught the ball on the sideline that I think was actually intended for Ty Jones, but he was he was just in the right right vicinity, went up and got that. Uh, did a nice diving catch on the other sideline, a couple back shoulder plays on the sideline. Uh, he had he had seven catches total, four of which I think I counted were from the slot. Uh, so they really moved him all over the place and 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 okay. got got him involved um, in a bunch of different ways all over the field, as you said. And then Ty Jones, just my, my God, the the one handed or kind of uh, inside of the elbow catch that he made while he's just draped on the on the right sideline earlier in that game. Uh, the, those were some of the best uh, receiver play I've seen out of a UW team, and in uh, just just sheer route running and, and, and ability on the ball. Uh, I mean, I remember the the Stanford game two years ago when John Ross was just putting on a clinic route wise, and so was Pettis. Um, it was it was very similar to see what those guys were doing, um, but then also some extra extra fun stuff on the ball. So. Um, I, I was I was really really excited about that because I mean obviously SEC defense um, Auburn's defensive backfield was was uh, was not great but um, you know certainly with Jake having more time to throw getting those guys involved should be should be fun the rest of the year. Yeah, and I think this also goes to show that I think the offensive line held up pretty well at the end of the day given the circumstance, uh, which allowed for those throws to actually go off and be completed. Mm-hmm. Except on the. Uh, very last throw of the game 
but uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's we can uh, we can talk about that later. Uh, fourth down, uh, unless you have anything else for the receiver group. I'll go for it. Fourth down, literally. Uh, yeah, fourth down is uh, is the targeting rule because it, it came into play a couple different times um, throughout this game. JoJo McIntosh was initially called for one. Um, and then Big Cat Bryant for for Auburn was not um, when when his was way more egregious and uh, and clear. Let me just read the rule and then we can kind of talk about it. Here's the, here's how the rule is written. It says no player shall target and make forcible contact against an opponent with the crown of his helmet. This foul requires that there be at least one indicator of targeting. Targeting when in question, it's a foul. So basically, when in doubt, you're calling it. Uh, which we'll get into. No player shall target and make forcible contact to the head or neck area of a defensive, defenseless opponent, which does include a quarterback throwing a pass uh, with the helmet, forearm, hand, fist, elbow, or shoulder. Fist, wow, that, that would be a fun one to see. Um, so that's that's kind of how it's written. There's a lot more verbiage to it than that and all these clauses and things like that, but that's that's the core of it. So uh, what do you think about how, how the targeting call was is both written and uh, and it's how it's being... Uh, being enforced at the college football level. Well, you check both both boxes there. <laughs> he hit with the crown of his helmet, and he hit Jake directly in Jake's helmet as he was throwing. Um, yep. Yeah, I just. What's the point of having these rules if you're not going to enforce them? And this is like the most blatant variety of this rule uh, as you can get. Um, by no means am I saying or are we saying that this would have won us the game, but it did come in a pretty unfortunate situation with the fact that we were third and 12, we got 11 on the play and had to end up punting fourth and one, and then Auburn went down and scored the winning touchdown on that ensuing drive. It would have been nice to see with that new set of downs, uh, I think we would have been on our own 45, so you're approaching midfield. Would have been nice to see us kind of you know eat some clock there, uh, we have can basically do anything in our offensive playbook at that point in that part of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It was just kind of baffling to me. I noticed it in real time. I was like, that looked that looked like a targeting right on. Like he got lit up. And the fact that you don't call that, but didn't you call the one on Macintosh, which was clearly not a targeting situation? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just unfortunate. The replay was shown, I think, like three times. Uh, before the the next play was even run it just i feel like someone should have been able to see that and been you know hey we should take a peek at that at right least. yeah you you can't uh you can't have it both ways you can't i mean the, the rule is there for a good reason and obviously you know anyone that knows me knows knows that i'm a fan of of this type of thing to um to incentivize or, or to, to disincentivize uh play like that for you know for the player safety purposes mm-hmm. um but the, going back to how Macintosh got his and Bryant did it, I'm fine with Macintosh getting the flag. I mean, we were we were in a group text, sure. and one of our buddies said, you know, he's out of there just because of the angle that you see it the first time. It looks like Macintosh kind of went into it. You look at it a couple more times, you see that it's actually just his hand, you know, tucked in into his shoulder, and it's actually the the shoulder that's that's making the the hit. You're fine with that, right? You're you're double checking. You're being you're erring on the side of caution. Overturned. Uh, Yep, exactly. Overturned, Perfect. no harm, no foul. Didn't even know that they could pick up the flag entirely. I just thought it was reviewing whether JoJo was was uh, was ejected. I think that the refs probably had a warrant out on JoJo McIntosh, given that he's been ejected out of games before, um, so that they were probably looking for for him. Um, if 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 they're talking about that before, but it, it, it as you said, it was so blatant. Three re- replays of the rule of the of the the, the hit on Browning. Um, before the punts, I just think that, especially with the quarterback, there's two guys right there. The ESPN rules expert came on to say that you know he saw forcible contact right there to the head and neck. Done deal. That's a flag. Uh, you you just can't miss that. Um, there's no excuse for that as at the point of the ball in a game like that. Um, so it's 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 disappointing, but it's also not surprising given uh, given kind of the the general shrug emoji of, of how that rule is being enforced in college football and as you're about to see this nfl season wait i th- i think it's funny that you mentioned that they may have made note before the game about jojo mcintosh the one the hit on browning was by a guy named big big cat bryant like if that's not enough reason to keep an eye on that guy then i don't know what is 
<laughs> yeah, and and it was much less bang bang uh, than the Macintosh play. I mean, it was it was very very clear one one guy making you know spearing contact on on Browning. Um, so it's just unfortunate. Uh, on a lighter note, I do think that the ESPN College Football Rules Expert is immediately one of the better <laughs> rules experts out there. I think Mike Pereira uh, in his three piece suits are awful. Um, and I don't know how did you feel about Doctor Joe this summer in the World Cup. Dr. Joe. The, the, I'm, I'm not familiar. The rules expert that they would bring in, the Dr. Joe, whoever, what is what his name was, Dr. Joe. Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah. I, I have, that is, that is too far. I don't remember that far out. I just remember like 30, 30 days previous. There we go. That's, I mean, that's, that's fair to empty the filing cabinet. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so he's great. I'll look forward to listening to, to him. The, the ESPN rules guy that they have um, was, was very clear in terms of, of how, how that rule should be enacted. Unfortunate. One of the many um, frustrations from this game was that targeting call uh, ultimately, you know, probably not the, the deciding factor, just one of them. You end up losing. Uh, in a big game that was maybe, you know, as we kind of talked about, a game that would have bought you some equity um, for another loss during the season. That equity is almost certainly gone at this point for the Huskies. So my question to you in our one big question here, are we all right? Are, are the dogs going to pull through this? Is, is, this uh, is this completely gloom and doom and now we're playing for uh, maybe a New Year's Six bid instead of a, a playoff bid? There's a there's a lot of points to made, be made here because as as frustrating as this weekend was for the dogs, it was probably the best case scenario in a loss. Uh, you lost by five points to a top 10 team from the SEC in SEC territory in Atlanta. It could have been much worse. I think we represented ourselves really well. Uh, we represented the Pac-12 well because everybody's talking about us representing the Pac-12 nowadays. Um, but with that said, you pretty much have to win out for the rest of the regular season and the conference championship if you want a spot in the college football playoff. I think if you if you went out, I think you're in. I, I don't think there's any question that you can keep UW out if you went out. Um, if you don't, one nice thing about this season is the Rose Bowl isn't a semifinal game. So if we were to lose, let's say, to Stanford, but still win the Pac-12, then great, we're going to the Rose Bowl. So, I mean, it's not it's not the end of the world by any means, um, but we do have some work to do. There's a lot of season ahead, so we'll see what happens, I guess. Yeah, I think that, that the, the gloom button um, kind of was was pressed a little harder, harder down today with the news of Trey Adams being out for not just the Auburn game, but for the whole season. But I think to that point, I mean, uh, they said it a couple times in the broadcast. But looking back, um, looking back on it, Jared Hilbers uh, played really well in in uh, mm-hmm. in the the filling in for him. There's a couple plays that I thought he was he would have you know benefited from being the the athletic pro- prowess that uh, the Trey Adams is. Just couldn't couldn't make it to a block on the outside or um, a couple steps here and there from from what I see. But what the hell do I know? Uh, you know, I I think that's the best defensive line he'll see all season, and I'd give him a B Easily. plus. B plus for for how he played, maybe even a B. Um, so that's that's certainly certainly exciting, given that um, that that was kind of a probably a surprise for him to play uh, in that game, and, and kind of a good point for continuity. I think. Look, uh, your your next check in point for this season is the Utah game. Um, after that, it's it's basically the Stanford game, uh, and then you'll just kind of keep going from there. I think that that uh, to to write this season off. Um, you know, it's been true in college football for a long time. It's better to lose early than to lose late. I think that that's mm-hmm. still true. I think that, that that Auburn team was very good. I think that we made Jared Stidham look uncomfortable, um, which is which was another thing that we talked about. Is the pass rush going to be able to, to, make, to make plays? Couldn't really put Stidham down and get the ball on the turf like we wanted to. Uh, but there were plays when, you know, every single guy in that D-line, both Bowmans, Greg Gaines, uh, Benning Potoai, uh, even Ariel Nada, I think, had a great game. All those guys were were active and playing well on on the big stage, and so I think that there's there's plenty there um, to to like, and a lot of our a lot of our doubts were answered despite the loss. So it's a long season. I think uh, I, I I think that this is a team that 
Um, you hear from pundits across the nation. Don't don't count this team out because uh, all the things to like before this team before the the Auburn game are still true. And then uh, plus some extra questions answered as a result of the game. Two two things to close this question out. Absolutely. One, you've you've been through the fire. You've played a top tier opponent. You have that experience. Whereas a lot of teams that we're going to face down the road are playing teams like Portland State and you know. Just those North those Dakota, Quint, Quint yeah, <laughs> Quint Kessinich's favorite cupcakes of the world. Right. Um, so you have that. You're you're ready to play in big games now. Um, two, we are now massive Pac-12 fans. We need quality wins. We're rooting for every Pac-12 team to win. Um, it's unfortunate that USC and Stanford play this coming weekend because those are the two teams you probably want to be rooting for most mm-hmm. the rest of the way, but. There were very, I mean, ever ever since I've been watching the Huskies, uh, before we've been in this playoff discussion, I've I've never rooted for other Pac-12 teams other than the ones that were playing Oregon and WSU because you know it's like at the end of the day I don't I don't care about these guys I just mm-hmm. want to win the conference. But now that we're in this in this uh, national conversation, we need our conference to to win games. We need quality wins on our schedule or quality losses. I, Obviously, we can't lose again, but we need those quality wins. So yep. you are a Pac-12 fan for the rest of the way. Yep, it's it's the it's the case when you are um, officially one of the the big dogs out there that uh, your conference is um, is important, and and you can't uh, you can't just beat them all up and hope that they um, that they're all easy wins. So that'll be <laughs> the case uh, throughout the rest of the season. Is is pulling or the rest of the uh, the Pac-12 non-conference slate is pulling for the Pac-12 teams. Let's do like five seconds on North Dakota. I do I got four bullet points. Hell yeah! If you want me to I have history. I have one, and it's they have uh, <laughs> three, three, uh, three. You know, all F or all Big Sky caliber running backs. Uh, let's oh. call them the the three uh, the three fighting hawks of the apocalypse. That's, Beautiful. That's all Beautiful. I got. That is not one of my points. So that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, my points are. Grand Forks, North Dakota. Now you know. Uh, number two, they are an independent <laughs> FCS because they're transitioning from the Big Sky to, to the Missouri Valley Conference. They went three and eight last season, and they won this past weekend, thirty-five to seven versus Mississippi Valley State. Mississippi Valley State is the alma mater of. No clue. Jerry Rice. Oh man, I'm yeah. not an NFL guy. You know that. Yeah. I don't know those things as much. You know who Jerry Rice is, though, right? Yes, I'm aware. I'm aware of that guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's North Dakota. Should be fun. Um, I, I think that this will be one of those games that's over extremely quickly, just uh, from a qualitative perspective. So um, should be should be fun to get one of those. Should be fun for you to get some, some tailgating in. Uh, let's go to our back-to-pack section, um, our fun little, little joyous conference had I would say a, a decent weekend. Obviously, UW as the banner carrier, you would want them to, to get the win. We didn't. We covered that. Uh, but the rest of the conference, you had, I think, a nice nice little one. Cal beating North Carolina. Uh, a lot of good wins there. Larry Fedora doesn't believe in CTE. Um, and uh, that's not true. Larry, Larry Fedora believes in CTE, believes football's under attack, uh, which is not, not really true. Um, yeah. And uh, so North Carolina lost. I'm fine with that. Arizona State, the Herm Edwards era, um, is off to a rip-roaring start. They beat uh, uh, Texas San Antonio. Yes, that's a real school. Uh, Oregon beat Bowling Green with, um, you know, 56-35 or something like that. Um, but uh, size 56 font on their on their numbers looked absolutely absurd yep. doing it. Washington State beat Wyoming in their fun little uh, formations where they have some some receiver snapping the ball. Do you see that the the Mike Leach play over the weekend? Yeah, incredible. I I read that he has some like data analytics guy that's like helping him with these. He has more up his sleeve apparently. They had he had some quirky name for it. I think it's awesome. I think it's great. I yeah, Mike Leach is uh, is a is a is nothing but but uh but interesting or nothing but not interesting. We will say. Um, about Mike, uh, I cannot wait to see see no no other Wazoo football other than like the one wacky play they did um, until until we get to Pac-12 play. So that'll be fun. Um, Cougs won. USC beat UNLV in the start of the JT Daniels era. Stanford beat San Diego State after looking a little hairy to begin that game. Um, 
I think the big point for for the conference is that they avoided the embarrassing loss. Um, you know, people can say that the the Auburn loss was disappointing. You know, the, the Beavs didn't cover plus forty in Columbus. <laughs> That's a whole different issue. Sorry, Beavs. Uh, Arizona lost to BYU. Um, you know, we had both talked about Arizona being a sleeper, and you said that was it, disappointing. It was disappointing. Yeah. Uh, it, to Khalil Tate, you know, 197 yards passing. Uh, 14 yards rushing. Uh, you'd you'd really like more there from a Arizona perspective, but hey, BYU came to play, I guess. Yeah, a team that UW will play at some point this season, um, so we'll get a common opponent there. And then UCLA lost the uh, debut of the Chip Kelly era to Cincinnati. None of those losses there are are just you know head scratchers and and you know making larry scott sweat not that he actually cares about the product of the field um but uh but but no no true embarrassing loss so heading into this week uh the big tilt in the conference usc at stanford on saturday night at espn that should be a good one yeah this these are the two best teams in the conference most likely outside of u-dub um it's basically going to be a toss-up i think i think the line is you know, under five points. Um, it's at Stanford, so I think they do have the edge and yep. the betting edge technically. Stanford minus four at the moment. Yeah, who who we want to win this from a UW perspective? Um, I've actually gone back and forth about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the end of the day we want Stanford because then you get Stanford. Uh, I th- I think we would get Stanford. I don't think they would play anybody else big before we get them. I could be wrong on that. Um, but I would. we know for a fact we're playing Stanford this season. We don't know for a fact if we're going to play USC. The only chance of playing USC would be in the conference title game. So I think we need to root for Stanford in this one just to um, raise that <laughs> hopefully quality win against them when we do play them. Um but it's by it's it's not terrible if they were to lose and USC to, were to win. Um, USC could very well run the table. I, I mean, who yeah. knows at this point? They are a top fifteen team, so um, I don't. It's I don't know. Just enjoy the game. It's good Pac twelve football, I guess. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the big takeaway. I th- I do think that a home loss is not as great for things so if, if you are kind of split True. between whether to one pack 12 team or the other team rooting for the home team um, is usually a good bet uh <laughs> stanford i had it wrong too stanford goes at oregon so they play uc davis uh, the following week after usc and then goes at oregon at notre dame home against utah uh in the following three Ooh. weeks which uh is Man. murderer's row given that notre dame uh just beat michigan um and certainly looks like contenders this year so uh, I think I would I would I would bet uh, you and I should, should talk about bets a little later. Uh, I yeah, would bet wow. that that Stanford pulls this off. Uh, Bryce Love was held to just 29 yards in that Week One game against San Diego State. I don't think that that will be the case this week. USC gave up 308 yards in the ground to UNLV. Uh, I would imagine Bryce Love uh, kind of runs around a little bit, and JT Daniels struggles in his first road start. Uh, although. Matt Barkley walked into the horseshoe and beat Ohio State. The Terrell Pryor led Ohio State team way back when in his first true road game. Um, that season, they ended up losing to UW, uh, but that was Aaron Corp's fault, not Matt Barkley. So it could uh, it could go either way in that game, but I think I think Stanford probably pulls that off. What's three hundred? USC really gave up three hundred yards on the ground to UNLV. Yeah, only ninety-five yards through the air. Um, so that you know, probably wow. a stylistic thing for for UNLV. Um, but uh, but yeah, three hundred eight yards to UNLV is not a good sign, given that you're about to play Stanford, who seemingly lines up with like fifteen offensive linemen in, on every play. Um, the, the other aptly name running rebels. Yes, yes, yeah, for real. Uh, the other one in the conference that should just be super Pac-12 after dark, super funky, Michigan State at Arizona State. I think Love that this. it'll be like 190 degrees. Um, and, <laughs> 7.45 kick. Yep. ASU will 8.45 be, actually in, in the desert. ASU will wear all black. Um, there will be... There will be just some some wacky stuff um, going on in that game for sure. Um, so that'll be fun. Any other Pac-12 games to t- to take away this week? Uh, what and what might be the best individual matchup 
of two players in the Pac-12 this week. Arizona travels to Houston, uh, where you'll pit Khalil Tate against uh, top three Heisman candidate and Ed Oliver, a defensive tackle for Houston. He had, I think, 13 tackles last week and three and a half tackles for a loss. So uh, it will be interesting to see what type of pressure they can get on Tate, especially after uh, BYU bottled him up for only 14 yards on the ground. You really got to think Kevin Sumlin and uh, the OC, Noel Mazzoni, will try and utilize him a bit more because he is not the greatest of throwers, but he can do wonders on the ground for them. Yeah, yeah. hopefully Tate gets going. I think that uh, the, the conference is better when, when his name is uh, is important and people are checking in to see how he did. Um, let's move on to the, the college football party scene as at large. Uh, big winners from the weekend, big losers. Uh, who do you got? Who, who, was, um, who was the most happy with how things went down on Saturday or Sunday? Well, obviously. There was, there was stuff there. Yep, or Monday. Yeah. Um, Obviously, Auburn is going to be the biggest winner here, but, I mean, we've talked about that at, at length, so we'll move on from them. Um, I think LSU is probably the biggest, just absolutely smacking Miami, 33-17. Uh, they went up in both polls, I think, by 10-plus or 9-plus positions, so they were a big winner. Uh, Notre Dame over Michigan is a huge one. Uh, Harbaugh cannot win a ranked away game to save his life. Um mm. So, yeah, Michigan faltering there, but Notre Dame looking good so far. Uh, Boise State travel all the way to Alabama and face Troy in a sneaky big Game of Five matchup mm-hmm. and just beat the beat the heck out of them, 56-20. to 20. So uh, that was great for the Broncos. And then Virginia Tech just made Florida State look like a JV team out there this uh what was it, Monday, mm-hmm. um, could set up for an interesting top 10 matchup in week six with Notre Dame when the Hokies play them. Um, if Irish can, if the Irish can get back past Stanford the week before, you could have two undefeated teams playing. So that's something to look for there. Yeah, we, t- we talked um, in the in a different, different pod about Notre Dame and what they'll have to do this year. Uh, they have to beat Stanford. I mean, they just beat Michigan. Stanford at Virginia Tech. Uh, Florida State, uh, who I will assume will be better, and then at at USC, which is a, a scary proposition that they will have such a strong schedule and could probably get away with having uh, one or two losses and jumping another team. So good to keep an eye on Notre Dame. I absolutely had the Boise State one written down as well. Um, it was a big one for uh, for Brett Rippon and and uh, for that that kind of fun upstart team. So to keep an eye on them. Losers, UW is absolutely in that category, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, the you know. Quite simply, your outlook is just not as strong as it was would have been having beat Auburn. Uh, I also had Miami as a loser. Um, I don't think mm-hmm. that they can recover. Um, I don't think that the ACC is getting two teams. I think Clemson will give them their no. second, second loss handily. Um, so that's going to be tough for Miami to rebound from. Michigan um, is you know had a, a very tough schedule to begin with, losing at Notre Dame, not a good start. Quick trivia question for you on Michigan. Heard this one today. How many uh, how many how many um, Ohio State games has Michigan won since 2003? It's going to be like three or four. Once. Something low. Wow. Once. Really? Yes. Michigan has beat Ohio State once in that time, which is just, just crazy to think about um, given that those team, two teams oh. – I mean, Ohio State's been great, but uh, Michigan has only had uh, a couple years where they were just horrible. So to see that um, is, is interesting. And then the last one, you, you know, uh, Florida, Florida Atlantic had the potential to make some noise, uh, but got absolutely shellacked by Oklahoma, who I think would be another winner, um, just given that that offense seemed to take no steps back despite uh, the loss of Baker Mayfield. Yeah, that that was too bad. It would have been fun to see a uh, little Kiffin magic in Norman, but I mean, that was that was expected. Um, I think. I think we need to be clear here. This is the biggest losers in week one, and by no means were the Huskies one of the biggest losers. Um, I'd throw in UCLA or Texas before UW. Um, I also have Penn State going to OT against Appalachian State yeah. on the 11-year anniversary of the App State win over Michigan in the big house, mind you. so funky juju in the building for sure. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Michigan State struggling against Utah State, only beating them by seven at home. 
um, was pretty poor, I thought, as well. So those are the ones I had. Yeah, uh, all of those are certainly true. Who is your, uh, who's your, I call it the Kyle Orton Award for the, you know, the Heisman mm-hmm. through six weeks. Uh, might also be called the Geno Smith Award. Uh, who, who would you <laughs> give it to if you were, if you were on the podium um, in that Nissan Heisman house? Who would you hand it to this weekend? Uh, I think it has to be Will Greer, quarterback out of West Virginia. Yep. I went 24-34 for our 429 yards and five TDs with no picks in their landslide win over Tennessee um, in Charlotte. Uh, I think 1B would be our our preseason pick, uh, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. He rushed for 145 yards and two touchdowns. So yep. both of those guys look good, but I think Greer was the one to beat in week one. Dwayne Haskins, quarterback of, of Ohio State, uh, really put it on Oregon State. And if he continues to put up numbers, <laughs> he will absolutely be in the conversation there. So uh, that's another name. Greer, Greer is, uh, is certainly off to a good start for, for providing, uh, backing up the, the preseason hype with some, some validity. Um, so that'll be fun to watch. What, what are the games to watch this weekend? There's not many, actually. Uh, we talked about USC Stanford. That's pretty much the big like no no question the biggest game Mm -hmm. uh there's one other ranked matchup that's georgia versus south carolina um not expecting that one to be close it's a 10 point line right now but i think Georgia's going to run away with that um but i am i am really looking forward to this sparty versus i i put it down sparty at forks (laughs) has pac-12 written pac-12 after dark written all over it so Um, that's one to watch as well. That has a Herm Edwards sideline aneurysm written all over it. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that one lives up to the bill. I could see triple overtime in that one. Um, some some team finishing with nine players in the field. It, anything could happen uh, in in the the, the Sparty Forks game. Um, that'll be fun. My favorite segments coming up here. We're going to end this podcast talking about our OKG of the week, and then also our Great Cat of the week. OKG is good. Great Cat is bad. Uh, Great cat first. Should we do that first? Sure. Yeah. yeah. We, we can end on a positive note and go great cat first. I like it. Um, this was easy, and I think you have the same answer as me, I'm pretty sure. But this is no question Mark Jones of ESPN after his just out-of-nowhere tweets bashing the Huskies' loss. Um, I'll read them off for you quote washington huskies took one on the chin where's montana this obviously goes back to uh, the whole espn fiasco when um peterson initially in a press conference talked about how we had all these late games and it's too bad and then herb street came on that that following saturday and and snapped back at at peterson for complaining about it and that he just needs to get over it and then that night on the on the uw call for ESPN, Mark Jones, uh, Rod Gilmore, and Quint Kessinich, uh, and on multiple occasions talked about how weak our our uh, schedule was. Even setting out cupcakes on the sideline to talk about our schedule, even though at the end of the day it wasn't as weak as a lot of other teams. But um, yeah, Mark Jones tweeted that out this week, and then he tried to backtrack and talk about how he wants us to have a great season and. Uh, all love Seattle. Like it's like, dude, come on. So, they ESPN has already noted that they've dealt with the situation, and a UW official has already confirmed that Jones won't call any UW games this season for ESPN. But, like at the end of the day, like be professional. Why do you need to even bring us into the conversation? I I agree, and it is so, so obviously uh, not not a. It's just not a good call for for Mark Jones to do it. But I'm also like. The world needs villains and like the world needs people to do <laughs> these just like ridiculous mean like stupid things and so I'm I'm kind of okay with with the fact that Mark Jones did it not for his sake because I think it's a dumb move but just for like comedy's sake I'm glad that he he just thought that that was a good idea on Saturday night um you you could read his tweet another way I mean Jake Browning literally took one on the chin uh, and then after a tough loss like that, playing Montana would would be a nice pick me up. So that, I mean, maybe that's what mm. he was referring to. Uh, yeah, doubtful, Great point. doubtful given his <laughs> his backtracking. Um, the other one, Pac-12 Network uh, for missing a touchdown uh, in the USC game. Yep. Uh, while it was in commercial, we we saw that one right off the bat. Uh, my last one though will will bring delight to your face. Uh, Willie Taggart, who actually took one on the chin, mm. lost at home twenty four to three. 
uh, on on you know no one else is watching anything but but the Virginia Tech Florida State game uh, loses twenty four to three and then accuses Virginia Tech of faking injuries to slow down his offense that scored three points in that game, um, well, which the, is true by the way. <laughs> they, 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 I think they, he has a point. They did. They did. did fake. Did you see that? Uh, I didn't see the specific examples, um, but just the fact mm-hmm. that you that you're making that claim and then scoring three true. points. Um, yeah, that is that is a bad look. It's, it's not a bad look. <laughs> like it would have made it would have made a difference, really. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, you know, he threw three picks and uh, didn't look pretty th- at home. Um, so uh, accountable, accountable Willie Taggart um, for for accusing <laughs> faked injuries of of derailing his home opener uh, would be another nominee. But absolutely, we got to give it to, to Mark Jones, uh, UW troll. Almost too bad that he doesn't call a game because boy, that would just be oh, raucous. Man. Oh man, it would be great. Uh, I I sit like maybe five rows below the uh, the the TV booth, and I'm sure it would be pretty interesting scenes down there during that game if people knew that he was in the booth. But yeah. hey, one silver lining of this weekend with Mark Jones is his Miami Hurricanes got destroyed. So yes. at the end of the day, and they're playing Savannah State next week, so it's like who are you to talk? Right, that's uh, it's pretty one to one there. Uh, OKG yeah. of the week. Mine was uh, I'm. There's a lot. Um, first of all, apologies to my Miles Bryant. Miles Bryant played so freaking well and is such a stud. I can't believe I said that Elijah Molden is better than him. Uh, he, yeah. he played amazing, and I cannot wait to watch him because he basically acts as a linebacker at the line of scrimmage, over covering just smothering screens. Um, so, t- you know, take my apology, Miles Bryant. You're an amazing player. Second one. Brian Greasy, uh, commentator on the game, for pointing out that Jared Stidham's engagement was staged. I think that this was this was the type of journalism <laughs> and reporting and and factual statements that we need uh, to to really you know get to get to the co- the core issues in college football. That Jared Stidham's fake ass engagement was not not uh, not that real. Not was real that at all. due to the? Do the photo- photographer in the background, or was there anything else involved with that that I missed? Well, the the rose petals on the on the porch would be another one that, that tells you that mm. this is not a real thing. And then not just the photographer, the quality of the photographer. Those pictures were like 1080p uh, DSR camera. Whoa! Yeah, right. This wasn't this wasn't some just hanging out. Um, you know, some some ants of the situation just hanging out taking a Snapchat video. This was. This was uh, someone that you would notice in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's great from Greasy. We need that type of reporting more often. Absolutely. No, no, um, no fake news in that booth. Yeah, nothing. Oh, Mark Jones isn't in it, so that's why. <laughs> right. Um, my is that is that it for your OKGs? I have one more. Just note that I okay. w- I want to I want to just slobber about Greg G- Greg Gaines for a second. Okay. Uh, there's there's a play that he makes with seven minutes and 40 seconds left in the third quarter. Um, it's a third and six. Gaines mm-hmm. gets double teamed. Um, he pushes, he gets double teamed, pushes two linemen back six yards, two SEC offensive linemen, pushes them back six yards on the on the near hash on the screen, uh, and then gets off the double team as Jared Stidham is scrambling to his left. Yep. Sprints across the field. 100 feet uh, if you're going by where the hashes are 33 yards so basically 30 yards to just absolutely shellac stidham as he's scrambling to try and get to the sideline uh it was it was magnificent and worth noting greg Gaines is 6'2 315 pounds and just did one of the more athletic things i've ever seen a human do um and, and just the combination of 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 just strength speed and uh endurance all in the same thing so kudos to greg Gaines, who is just uh just take take a couple plays every husky game especially when you're watching like in north dakota and just watch greg Gaines because he is uh he does very important very underrated things on the field yeah he'll he'll be playing on sundays uh starting next season absolutely but was that was that the play where bryant came in and also laid the yeah yeah still fumbled but it went out of bounds yep yeah, man, that would have been nice to get that yes. in, the, in the middle of the field, not, not out of, out of mm-hmm. bounds. But um, my OKG of the week, and I'm surprised you didn't mention it, although this was pretty much a shoo-in um, to happen, was Miles Gaskin setting the Utah all-time rushing record. There we go. Worth, worth 4,130 yards, surpassing Napoleon Kaufman. 
Um, I think he got that in the first or second quarter uh, pretty early. But um, any time you set an all-time rushing record at a school with as much history and success in football as UW has had is definitely worth noting. So congrats to Miles Gaskin, who has arguably had the best uh, rushing career in school history. And has uh, at least 12 games left to go with this season. Yeah, um, so had that stat quite a bit. Yes, he will create some distance. Um, and uh, last last note here, well, very well said about uh, Miles Gaskin, a guy that we, we certainly adore. Uh, Quentin Pounds for that catch on its own yep. is crazy. Quentin Pounds has had his last two uh, football seasons ended by different knee injuries. Um, so for him to come back and to, for him to do that and make that catch um, in, in – uh, one of one of two targets that he had in that game uh, is is very exciting, and uh, it was just very cool to see. And I don't think it's a blip on the radar. I think Quentin Pounds will be will be a big play guy for the rest of the season. And and you know his I think his last catch before that. So he only had one catch, and that was his touchdown, amazing touchdowns this weekend. But the this last catch before that was the I think the amazing touchdown that he had uh, mm-hmm. down the seam like in fifty Colorado. yards at Colorado. Yep. Yeah, so. He's uh, he's hauled in a couple big touchdown catches in his last two receptions. He's the uh, he's the Brandon Lloyd of uh, of college football. Of just like he'll <laughs> end the season with like fourteen catches, but they're all absurd. Um, so Great reference. Yes, thank you. Uh, Quentin Pounds is is one of the the many OKGs um, to from from this week. Uh, I'm 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 leaving this podcast with a smile on my face, despite despite losing twenty two to sixteen. Maybe that's the Seattle in me of just. Just too positive and uh, and t- <laughs> too uh, too happy and not not adjusted to the realities of life, uh, but I do think that there's there's a lot of nice things to take away from this week, despite uh, a, a six point loss in, in a really big game. I fully agree. A lot go. of good positives. That's that's why we we go so well together, Stan. Uh, this was <laughs> a, a phenomenal episode of our kind of pod. Thank you so much for doing this, Stan. We will uh, we'll be back next week. Sounds good. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>